Good morning, afternoon, or evening. Please delete as appropriate. Hello there. Welcome to this episode number 205 of the Material Podcast. I am Andy Anatko. And I'm Florence Ion. Hello, mm-hmm. Andy. Hello, Flo. We were, I, I should I should mention my good news to the listeners because I'm just I was just telling Flo that by the time I'm uh, I'm having internet problems so I'm doing the podcast from a nearby uh, public library uh, but on the way out the door there was a kitty that I didn't recognize that like was kind of like the top of like the stairs that go to the outside and she, and the kitty seemed to for all intents and purposes, seemed like a kitty that belongs to the person who lives across the hall from me and got shut out and is waiting for someone to come back to be let back in. However, uh, I did tell the kitty that uh, this is a very, very dangerous place, the top of the stairs, and that if the kitty is still there and has not been let back in, when I come back in an hour and a half, two hours, kitty could, for its own protection, like come inside my place and I'll leave it. I'll make a note and leave it on the door of the, Oh, by the way, kitty like was meowing and meowing. So I decided to let him inside. And I didn't tell the kitty this cause I didn't want to get it or my hopes up. I, I promised myself that if it turns out this truly is a lost kitty. And after two or three weeks of having posters up saying, Hey, there's a lost kitty. Then no one claims the kitty. That's gonna it's gonna be my kitty. So I'm saying that in a couple of weeks' time, I'm, I might have a kitty. And I told Andy that I sincerely hope this happens to him. So now we're all going to be waiting with bated breath until next week's episode to figure out the saga to this kitty kitty saga. <laughs> yeah, Darn it. see, I was. I was. Get rid of I, I was. I, I was. Re- I, I took the. I decided that uh, we're doing well here at the podcast, but I thought that we could really sort of take a clue from Game of Thrones and Mad Men that uh, it's nice to have like an ongoing storyline for each yes. season yes. that keeps people yes. coming back. So the storyline yes. for this season will be, did Andy get a kitty? Mm-hmm. So. And the storyline for me will be, did Flo win the war? Um, <laughs> at, currently, I'm at a truce. So those who have followed me on social media, you're probably like, oh no, Flo's about to talk about <laughs> what I think she's going to talk about. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to talk about the cats in my backyard. Because folks, I traded in office politics for cat politics out here in the suburbs. And I'm much happier for it, but I need drama somewhere. Like I can't just get drama from reality TV. Like I need something in real life. So, And also, this is again going to be me talking about how I'm kind of a horrible person. Um <laughs> So I have a squirt bottle. <laughs> I put water in it. That's it. It's just some fresh tap water that's in there right now. Okay. Nothing more than that. In case the kitties um, get thirsty. Yes. And and kitties need a bath. <laughs> they need help sometimes. And they're too shy to come right up at you. And they'd right. much rather get their water from five to 17 sure. feet away. Sure. Okay. I'm going to be honest here, folks. Uh, we, <laughs> I try to help you this, here. Th- we're going to have, we're going to have some truth telling. Okay. I have new neighbors next door and the new neighbors has pets, which is great. I'm happy that they have pets. I have a pet too. Uh, but I didn't realize that I wasn't told that the pets were outdoor pets <laughs> that claim territory outside of the boundaries of the Land. This is going to sound so suburban of me. Oh, this is, uh, I'm going into really bad territory right here and like live too. It's on my property. 
I feel really bad. Listen, it's a privilege that I have property in the first place. And it was like, actually, it will never actually be mine because this land was stolen. But within the confines of my fence, I have a, you know, uh, an ecology here that I, I'd like to keep balanced. Uh, and my cat likes to go outside and I get very worried about like, we have a lot of feral cats around here. So there's a lot of cat battles that go on. And anyway, so that's why I've been trying to keep this cat out of my backyard. But then today, today we called a truce because I realized that A, it's an animal. <laughs> I, can't, I can't control it. Um, this is not like you know, it's not like your neighbor parking in your spot or something. Um, and B, you know, if my backyard can be a restful oasis for some cat, then I must be doing something right. So that's where I'm at, ladies and gentlemen. And you know now what a horrible person I am. And <laughs> I do have this suburban side to me that I don't know a show because I'm a little shameful about it, truthfully. Well, See, it's it's good to have your mind opened uh, to these kind of uh, experiences because at issue is the fact that uh, the new the neighbor cats do not respect the concept of property uh, property borders as laid out by the town. And although it's natural to kind of be a little bit upset by that, when you when you think about it a little more, you realize that these the idea that property has borders is an artificial construct yes. of society. Yes. And then the next step is that all property is an artificial construct yes. of society because you're living in this house at some point, either through death or through moving. It will not uh -huh. be your property anymore. That's true. That's very true. And maybe it's the cats that got it all figured out, man. No, I think you're right. Um, wow. This is setting a great tone for us this episode, by the way, Andy. I really... I like yeah. how you brought that back around. Uh, well, thank you. I, thank you all for being here on my journey on how I learned about uh, how everything belongs to everyone. Um, and I did. I did offer it some treats today. And I went and I, I did a truce. And I, I got, you know, I got a little pod, but it's okay. I, I deserved it. I deserved it. And I said, okay, we're going to leave this here. But if I hear any ruckus, I'm, I'm going to your mom next door so yeah. thank you everyone that's a, that's, we should probably talk about google now yeah I, I will say that is a very potent threat but you have to assume that uh that uh the cats all go to the same church in the same parish because yes. when i was a kid if you find out that like you you totally by accident like on your bike splash mud on someone and then you don't know who that someone is like Oh my God, I've seen that woman at church. She's totally going to see us at mass next week. And she's totally going to tell my mom. And then that's it for getting out of school early to see Empire Strikes Back. But yes, bring it back to Google. Uh, I did as we keep coming back to the one of the themes here uh, of the perfect Google feature is at the exact point of intersection between really, really useful and really, really creepy. Uh, and so I had I. I had a moment today where uh, I'm tr I'm trying to come up with a new refinement on how I access my music, where I do have a Google Music account, but mostly like when I love an album, I will buy it on CD so I can own it permanently and then rip the CD at lossless format and put it on a server. 
Uh, and but there's no unfortunately there's no one app that can do it all for me. So I experimented with the, one of the failings of Google Music and a lot of these other services seems to be that I wish that it had the ability to just pin certain albums. Like I want like there's always going to be maybe a couple Those five of five albums you always go to like with, with right, the, the feeling good album, the nostalgia album. Right. Like there's, there's always going to be the, the albums that I could possibly, I'll, I'll probably play once or twice a month until the day I die. Cause they're, uh -huh. they're pinned to certain moods or, uh, or maybe even just because I just ripped this CD last week and maybe it will not be permanently pinned, but I'm kind of into it right now. And I don't want right. to have to, I don't want to have to hear, see a, a, a cheerful, like, block drawing say, it's Memorial Day. Here's our Memorial Day barbecue playlist. Or do you want the Memorial Day paying respect to the soldiers playlist? Or perhaps it's your gardening and you want our Memorial Day, let's get the garden going. Like, no, I really just want to hear Abbey Road today. That's actually the only reason why I launched this app. So that my so my idea now is that in addition to the other stuff, now I've got Rocket Player, which I loved when I first installed it, but I had not been using it since I switched to Plex and Google Play. That mm -hmm. now, I, now I've got that installed, and its sole purpose is to be the music app I go to when I want to go to those dozen or two albums. Okay, and slowly I've been populating it <laughs> with with. Uh, favorites, uh, just again, going to my server and copying the FLAC files folder by folder directly off of uh, uh, USB media and copying it onto a folder into my phone. Great. Working great. So for instance, I've got the, the, the soundtrack uh, of the talking head, Stop Making Sense, which again, will always be played. Great. Fine. And so, um, late, so that was great. I did that a few days ago. Today, I launched Google Play Music because I wanted to access a playlist. And under the Recents tab, it has the album Stop Making Sense by Talking Heads, as well as what I recognize as most of the albums that I added to Rocket Player. And I, there are some that I admit I might have added to my Google Play Music library, but I'm very sure that Stop Making Sense wasn't one of them. I'm very sure that like this anthology thing, a whole bunch of albums that I'm really very sure that I never indicated to Google Play Music that I have an interest in any of the tracks on any of these albums. So now I'm left wondering, did it the fact that it saw that I was transacting with certain albums on, on my device in a folder meant that oh well I'm sure he put that album on the device and was listening to it with from, with Rocket Player for a reason but maybe it would be helpful to also surface that within Google Play Music so that if he's on his laptop and he doesn't so again if that's what it's doing. Bravo, good forward thinking, but B, I really wish that there were like a get info button that could say, here's why this album appeared here. You added it manually on August 21st, 2017. Oh, like, no, we, we guessed that you wanted it because we saw it because we were looking at everything on every folder on your device. So I'm dealing with that right now. Uh, I just have to say, Andy, I'm looking at Rocket Player's website and... <laughs> The UI that they use in their promo is tad in the past, I have to say. Yeah, I don't. It's a blast from the past. 
Well, um, I don't know what I don't have the the site in front of me. The UI, the reason why I picked it, uh, it was because it seems to be the most material design thing I could find. Um, I'm surprised that I'm surprised that nobody has. Oh, you sent me an image. I just slacked. I just I slacked you. Okay, that is <laughs> absolutely that is absolutely not what it looks like. Wow. Okay. Well. <laughs> So, that's okay. Yeah, that's not even the right logo anymore. So they definitely need to update their website. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm also surprised that with all the variety available on the Google Play Store, there really isn't a music player that that understands that a music player shouldn't look like a, a phone app or an app at all. It really yeah. should look like it needs to find a balance between uh, getting the job done, a complicated job done. And also looking like a piece of cons- a consumer interface where, look, the play button should be a big round play button and it should turn to a big round pause button so I can find it very, very quickly when you turn exactly. things off. And I need to be able to uh, tap off. <laughs> I need to be able to uh, tell it to. I need to be able to switch between playlists very quickly without having to go through 18 options. I just want a clean operating system that a clean interface uh, that works <laughs> with little muss or fuss. I kind of wish that uh, Russell, Russell's company, uh, created a version of their, their Pocket Cast is such a nice interface, particularly the latest version of Pocket Cast. And I would love it if they were to not create a new tab in Pocket Cast for local music, but to say, if there's if there's a guy, if there's a new like engineer that they kind of trust, but then he, he or she is not quite ready to handle like the, the keys to the kingdom, like they tell you what, why don't you? Here's the code base for Pocket Cast. We want you to to create a music player and strip off everything that is not podcast and make it a really cool music player using all of our interfaces. I would be very happy with that. If they had a Kickstarter, I would back the hell out of that Kickstarter. It also does video. Um, did you pay the three forty nine for the premium version? I did indeed. See, there's a premium and a fer- uh, blah, free version. Yes. Cool. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, this, so basically, it's Winamp for Android. <laughs> I don't know. Except I, it doesn't whip the llamas. I was spared. <laughs> I was spared that experience of Winamp being a Mac person <laughs> into. <laughs> oh, oh, excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. It was very fun, okay? okay. <laughs> we had a lot of fun in our Winamp days. <laughs> Do you know how many... Sk- I had a skin for every day of the week. Like, and, like, different moods. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, also, some little, like, quick news this week before we get into, like, the real deal um, talking heads here. <laughs> um, Google Lens features have started rolling out to Android and iOS Lens users this week. I haven't seen the update on my Pixel phone, but the update is going to include the auto mode, which is no need to tap on an item, Um, the ability to automatically translate text that's overlaid on an image, um, or rather the text will appear overlaid on the image, highlight popular dishes on a menu with photos and reviews, and the lens restaurant receipt. You'll be able to snap a photo of that to calculate the tip and split the bill and do all that stuff that you have like three apps to do anyway. All all the cool stuff they showed off at Google IO. And fortunately we, fortunately we only had to wait a few weeks for it instead of just before Google IO 2020. That's I I did check. I didn't see it uh, on my phone yet, but that's, I, I suspect that the restaurant features of it 
Uh, that's going to, I don't know if it'll convert a lot of iPhone users to Android, but no. it, it will be, it will be one of those moments where <laughs> a lot, like, especially when pay, paying the check, it's like, what, what did your phone just do? Oh, well, it just told us that uh, a 20% tip on this check is $43. And hey, your and phone cents. can do that too on <laughs> yeah. your iPhone. You just have to download the lens app. Yeah, exactly. And so exactly. it's like they're uh, it's they're always really, really cool features deep, deep, deep inside the operating system that says we have, we have revolutionized the way that we sleep and multitask to try to reuse cache contents whenever possible to. Uh, OK, that is great. But I want the doohickey that lets me use my camera to calculate a tip and split the check. That's the, that's the stuff that gets people again. They don't immediately throw their competing phone in the toilet but it, it's it sticks in your brain and that the yeah. next time you accidentally throw it's your phone cool. in your toilet you will on your way to the apple store you might think that was a cool feature i really did enjoy yeah. and all the all the night site that is kind of maybe i, I should drop in at the, at the at&t store that's near the apple store that's no oh. nowhere near as fun to hang out as <laughs> at the apple store you know but that's the thing though this is like People at Google are high-fiving themselves for this marketing, like being this way, the subversive marketing that we're doing as users of the product. Because we're like, <laughs> look how cool this thing is. Don't you want to do something cool? And you know what? It is cool being cool. I love being cool. Yeah. Although it, it, it is a shame that like each and every one of these shows, we always find a way to keep Google, uh, keep, keep the conversation in the best possible light about Google. That we're way, way, way too supportive. We're way, way, way too eager to defend Google and to ignore anything, any bad news about Google. And on that note, let's go to a commercial and uh, then talk about our first story. This episode of Material is brought to you by Pingdom, the company that makes website performance monitoring really easy. Everyone loves a fast website, and Pingdom is helping keep your favorite sites online. We're talking Netflix, Amazon, Spotify, Twitter, BuzzFeed, Slack. These are just a few companies who trust Pingdom to take care of their website monitoring. Websites can get pretty complicated, but you can monitor any site transaction with Pingdom. Stuff like user registrations, logins, checkouts, and much more. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. And if disaster strikes, you'll be the first to know. It's super easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is your URL, and they'll take care of the rest. That's it. Go to pingdom.com slash RealAFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. When you sign up, use the code MATERIAL at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show, The Material Podcast, and RealAFM. Okay, I was being a little bit coy there. Uh, <laughs> a little bit coy. Yeah, because... Um, I was smiling like a Dr. Seuss character, unfortunately. I don't know if you saw, Andy, that I was trying to go for that, but... Ever since I was a little kid and I saw the Dr. Seuss, you know, when the Grinch does that evil, like, smiley grin, and... But you've seen it on other characters, too. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely... It left an imprint on me as a small child <laughs> that this is a face I needed to reproduce myself. <laughs> How can you smile and make me look totally evil as well? Thank you, Chuck Jones, for yes. teaching me a new skill that I will spend <laughs> from age nine until 14 trying and failing to master. Uh, uh, it was earlier than that, but yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, so we got um, got more bad news about, about Google with a uh, really great article in The Guardian 
that has to do with voice recognition on the Google Assistant. Now, uh, what is not very widely known uh, is that uh, although, and the, the article points this out, there's always, oh, it's isn't that magical? Isn't that wonderful and magical how the Google Assistant works? That there are, of course, human beings that are making it work that magically. Uh, and that from 2014, when the when Google's like how to understand voice project got started, it's uh, technically uh, Project Pygmalion. From the time it started, they acknowledged and said that uh, what they need and what they're doing is they're getting lots and lots and lots of professional linguists uh, on staff to mark up text to teach the artificial intelligence. Here is what this inflection means. Here's what this version of this speech means. And as the assistant has expanded to not only be much, much better at English, but also to incorporate as many languages as possible, their reliance on these professional linguists, some of whom are, again, we're not talking about uh, rounding up uh, volunteers to <laughs> say, oh, does this text look okay? No, these are people who Yeah, have... this isn't an indie captioning project. We're right. not this, captioning this is, videos this in 30 languages this here. This isn't uh, Mechanical Turk for five bucks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the people, the, the linguists they have working have degrees in this field ranging yeah. from a Bachelor of Arts all the way to PhDs. Uh, and uh, and then some. Yeah, and, and according to uh, the article, currently there are 40 to 50 full-time Googlers and they are buttressed by 200 temporary workers that do all of this work. And uh, this piece in Not the- Not as temporary as you might think. Yeah, we're talking about contract workers. The the famous, yes, they are, they are Googlers and everything but name, ability to cite Google on your resume, level of pay, level of job permanence, insurance, ability to access Wi-Fi on the Google bus you spend two hours a day on, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and The Guardian reports that uh, they these uh, contract workers, these contract linguists are, are working in, they quote, sweatshop-like working conditions uh, and also being forced to uh, or co forced or coerced by by circumstances to work lots and lots of overtime without any pay. It's uh, they also says that uh, worker complaints have been uh, on this score have been ignored for a long, long time. And since uh, the first uh, real serious complaints came about in 2017, and Google admits they didn't really get on it until another complaint in February of 2019. But the, the but this report really does kind of open up the lid on uh, a very very bad problem. The problem the, the problem seems to be that uh, it, it's it's twofold. It's the one problem is the highly classic problem of uh, when a comp there there are a lot of people who would love to work for Pixar they would love to work for mm -hmm. Google they would love to work uh, work on a uh, work on an Avengers film work for Disney and the management will exploit that by their desire to work for it work for this goal that they personally have will cause them to put a, to not think that sacrificing themselves is quite so important like in games and tech journalism <laughs> sorry no, I, 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 I genuinely love tech journalism <laughs> and I try to I try not to love things that don't love me back such as I do this too but yes. I am but I am also referring to the fact that like online there are a lot of these um I, 
I was making a joke, but I am being serious that this is when I was reading the article, I was thinking, huh, wow, that sounds very relatable to a lot of like online workers. Um, and that's just to say that this is not just prevalent at Google. This is a systemic thing that like, it's a terrible thing that Google's taking advantage of. Anyway, go on, Andy. Continue. <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, these, con- so part of the problem is that these contract workers uh, are on the one hand told explicitly, according to this article, that by the way, there is no ladder to transition towards a full-time position mm-hmm. at Google. You are being hired simply as a contractor by one of Google's subcontractors. And that's it. But then on the other hand, they when they get into the job, they notice that a lot of the people who are full-time Google employees working on Pygmalion got their start as contra- uh, subcontractor linguists on this job. Uh, and furthermore, in April 2017, one of the sources on this story said, 2017, they recalled uh, attending a meeting of outsourced Pygmalion project managers in London and, quote, explained that the position was designed for conversion and that we should be proactive in asking for more work in order to achieve this. So they are, for legal reasons, upon point of hiring, as is Google policy saying, look, we are not there's not a promotion track into into Google proper where you get the really great health insurance, you get the really great pay, you get to be treated like a real Google employee. But once they're in, if it's a way that they can get people to work harder, harder, harder and make more and more sacrifices towards a goal that they have actually seen is attainable, they're definitely going to exploit all of that. Uh, and problem number two, let's, uh, I'll just get to the article and then we'll... <laughs> We'll we'll share our disgust at this is the problem of overtime, which is definitely hooked into this. Now, it would be bad enough and uh, familiar enough story if we had management thinking that, wow, these saps are just so proud to be working for us in any way that we can basically not even tell them to do things without pay, but we can just have that will work themselves to death for the privilege of being able to get a burrito in our cafeteria. Uh, So we're just not going to tell them that they shouldn't work themselves to death. That would be a common enough site. But uh, it does seem as though Google was uh, explicitly uh, explicitly abusing this sort of stuff. Uh, As a formal procedure, uh, the Pygmalion team is told that there is no overtime pay available for this project. So there is no, we don't have any budget for overtime, which would imply, so don't work overtime because there is no money for this. It was made clear to us, according to the story, the 40-hour thing, 40 hours a week thing is, uh, I'm sorry, let me back up a bit, uh, from the article, uh, quote, to my knowledge, no one ever said to me, you need to work our our TVCs, our contractors, above their contracts, but it was set up so that the only way to get the expected work done, and if anyone raised concerns, they would be openly mocked and belittled, said another current Googler. So not they were saying that, on the one hand, saying that there is no overtime pay available for this. On the other hand, they were giving these people goals and targets that could not possibly be met unless they worked overtime. Furthermore, uh, it was quote. It was made clear to us we were never to log more than forty hours, but we were never told not to work more than forty hours. Uh, continuing, uh, the work that they assign often takes more than eight hours. They added every week you fill out a timesheet. One person one time did submit overtime, and they were chastised. No punishment, but definitely told not to work overtime. So yeah, this is this is bad. And this is unfortunately endemic, another indication of the problem that Google and I'm 
I'm willing to say by extension, other big tech companies and other big corporations have, and trying to get away with not hiring as many people as they need to because they feel as though if they work through subcontractors, they can push these people around in ways they couldn't push them around if they were full-time employees. Here's the problem. The problem is that this is all unbridled capitalism. (laughs) Because if you were to take this and apply it to any other giant mega conglomerate, they'd be doing the exact same things. And so it becomes very difficult to say, well, I'm just gonna stick it to the man and not like bother with this because so now Google's become extremely ingrained in my day-to-day life. Um, I am logged in with a Google account. Like there's so much that is threaded to that. Okay, that's great. I've been really happy with the features thus far. But when I find out that this kind of um, work, unhealthy work ethic, by the way, they recently showed a study that exhaustion really is a medical condition. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think it's very interesting that we are not connecting the dots between exhaustion and the unhealthy work culture that we have in the United States of America. And I'm sorry if this sounds very preachy, but I'm a person who has had to take many breaks in her professional career due to you know, either unrealistic expectations set on by myself um, or unrealistic expectations set on by managers um, based on what I was able to do. Like people are not machines, which is why they're trying to replace us with them. But for now, linguists are not being replaced by machines. And in fact, you know, the messed up part of all this is they're training the machine to eventually replace them. Um, Anyway... (laughs) I'm sorry that I'm going in circles. Um, it's just it's just really hard to look at this and realize that it's this giant system and feel like you can have any change just by pointing it out, if that makes sense. Because it's like this is such a big issue of culture. And it's also, I feel like because we ask for so much as tech fans because we drool over everything and because we get so excited about all the little things that I feel like there is this, because there's the race to capture the most eyes, companies are moving really fast on all of this really important research that needs to be done to develop these machines, like this machine learning. And in order to do that, you have to push people to the brink. But that's that's just that's unethical. That's an unethical yeah. way to bring technology in. And I wish that I had the power to just like lord over the universe and say, everyone, chill out. Let's not like maybe maybe we skip developers conferences for one year. Maybe one year we just everybody just kind of catches up on products or on projects that they've been working on. I don't yeah. know. I'm just I am having a physical reaction to hearing this because of a person I've worked for nearly 20 years of my life. Okay, that was an overestimation, but I've worked for a long time and um I wouldn't exactly I know call what it's like to be jobs working, Bob. Well, I know exactly what it's like (laughs) to be taken advantage of and to be underpaid and to be asked to stay late without, you know, like, what is the payoff? Um, (laughs) Yeah. And we've been been hearing lots of stories about that in the the games industry where they are just expecting, they have lots of people in their 20s who are living the dream of being able to work on the tier one title 
and if the, and management and the company ownership understands that they can buy an extra five, 50 hours a week off of these people by giving them beer and pizza. They go, hey, we're in crunch time. And, you know, that's why we, we're going to have, we're going to turn conference room B into a party room. It's always going to have snacks for you because we really have to band together and work like a team to get this title out by the deadline. And But when it comes time to distribute compensation, no, we're not working like a team. We're looking like, <laughs> we're looking like lords and serfs, aren't we? Um, this is this is what bums me out, not just about this Google story, but it really does seem like uh, a deteriorating trend of a fundamental disrespect for labor that it's easy to understand because when you're trying to get a new phone out the door, you can't there is a point at which you cannot negotiate the cost of uh, of an OLED screen that you can you can set a couple of different uh, providers against each other in competing bids. Mm-hmm. You can change the specs to just exactly as much quality mm-hmm. as you need, but there comes a point in which the cost of that panel is not going to get any lower than what it is. Exactly. Whereas yeah. the cost of labor uh, in mm-hmm. the corporations always consider that completely malleable. That if you feel as though there's lots of unemployment in your industry, well, there are going to be people who are just thrilled to have any kind of a job. And if there are legal ramifications to have them as part of the payroll, let's not have them as part of the payroll. Let's have them as subcontractors. And every t- and let's make it darn clear, and I'm wagging my finger here in a comical way, now, sub, now contractor company, we have rules. You have to treat the – these people cannot work overtime unless they get paid, and they have to get sick days. Now – Wake, wake, wake. Yeah. And and then like on day two, they say, oh, and by the way, here's some uh, absolutely unattainable goals for you. And it will totally change. But we'll buy you lunch on Friday. Yeah. And 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 so and so basically so that they have that buffer saying we are so disappointed with that. So we had no idea this was happening without adding that next paragraph, which is why we have decided to hire more people directly where they will be. We can control their working conditions. It's just terrible, and I feel as though it's going to affect technology companies, but I feel as though it's going to affect all companies because the days when uh, – I feel as though we're very, very close to – we're a tech podcast, so I'm sure we're very, very close to a point where tech workers are going to unionize and are going to do whatever they have to do in order to get the power of collective bargaining because history has told us that there are only two things that will stop a company from doing exactly what it wants to do, particularly as regards to labor. One of them is federal laws that say that, hey, maybe that eight-year-old kid should be in school and not in a coal mine or a union that can say that you're not going to just be dealing with this group of 140 PhDs that are not being paid overtime. You're also going to be dealing with the people that are doing your security updates and maybe even the truck drivers who are delivering those burrito wraps to your cafeteria in the morning. Those are the only two things that get a company to listen. And uh, I'm sure that there are other things that the government could be getting on that they're going to get on to first. So I really do think that unionization is going to be the only thing um, for the for, to, just to I've, as a formality. 
Um, let's see. Google has a response to the Guardian report. Quote, our policy is clear that all temporary workers must be paid for any overtime worked, said Eileen Naughton, Google's vice president of people operations, in a statement to the Guardian. Quote, if we find that anyone isn't properly paid, we make sure they are compensated appropriately and take action against any Google employee who violates this policy. Okay, which is what they... There, there is a difference between uh, a company that is going to respond to complaints once they surface to the level of people writing about it and com- commenting about it. And then there are the companies that are going to realize that this is not the first time this problem has come up. Clearly, we have an institutional problem. And the only way we can demonstrate that we truly do care about this is to solve the institutional problem. Uh, the, another data point that we haven't mentioned, which I found really interesting and I wish The Guardian went into detail, uh, detail about, um, the idea of uh, having a white-collar sweatshop and please don't comp- <laughs> compete, uh, set workers uh, working uh, against each other. Uh, a, another Googler, another commenter m- said that this was part of, this is part of the culture that was uh, created by the executive who founded Pygmalion at Google. And interestingly, this executive was fired by Google in March after an internal investigation. And let's remind you of the timeline that Google started investigating this overtime problem in February. Uh, so you might, it's, let's not draw conclusions, but let us at least put a post-it note next to this saying did this did google do an investigation and say oh my god this guy is horrible we have to fire him and he was fired the next month or was he doing unrelated horrible stuff <laughs> and that the hammer happened to fall around the same time they said he did not he did not resign he was fired uh, by google in march to be clear hmm yes after uh mm-hmm okay Hmm. Shall we? Shall, now, now let's move on. <laughs> we do, we do try we do try to make sure that all the real bummer stuff is in Act One, uh, and now we're going to transition yeah. uh, to it with something that's a bummer, but Google doing the right thing to create try to mitigate the bummer. Uh, Google has changed its policy regarding uh, ads regarding to abort uh, related to abortion services. Because uh, some of these really, the uh, really adorable faction of the anti-abortion people, uh, as many of you probably know, uh, have created what they term "quote crisis pregnancy centers" unquote, ambiguously listed in advertisements online, on paper, everywhere, so that someone, a woman who is legitimately looking for a uh, advice on you know on getting uh, an abortion, abortion providers, safety will instead unknowingly be connected to someone who's going to try to talk them out of it, uh, expose them to shame and abuse and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Google had been uh, again. This is the difference between when you truly care about a problem versus when you care about the PR crisis. They have now created a whole system that anybody who wants to buy ads that are relate that are abortion related have to apply. Apply to Google first to be certified by Google as either a provider of abortion services or a non-provider of abortion services. And their ad will be labeled not by the advertiser themselves, but Google's Google ads will actually 
uh, embroider that ad with the designation, this advertiser is an abortion service provider, or this uh, ad is a, this advertiser is uh, an abortion service non-provider. And before we move off of this, uh, for one thing, uh, I will say congratulations to Google for, again, doing the right thing. Sometimes there are simple solutions to a problem, uh, and they do need to exert control over people who are abusing every piece of their uh, service platforms. This was a very simple thing they could do that hopefully will be effective, particularly that this is, again, the label is being generated by the ad system. It's not as though you are required, wag finger, wag finger, to make it clear in your ad, wag finger. Um, and this is going to be only more and more important. Um, there's a New York Times story about this that uh, gave me a perspective that and some statistics that I hadn't really thought of before that really kind of made me lean back in my seat because Google is your launch pad whenever you want to, whenever you have a problem and you need to learn about it, uh, Google is a place where you go. That's mm -hmm. people wouldn't spend so much time trying to game the search quote, engine. Quote, Google it. Exactly. And so um, as abortion rights are being I'll go ahead and say Stripped horrifically. Away. Yeah. I, I, again, I, I refuse to be neutral about this and not, I mean, this is just horrifying. The, anyway, I don't, again, I don't want to go off on a really angry half hour rant that has nothing to do with Google. As these are rights are being attacked and they are rights being attacked. Uh, New York Times says that, I'm um, quoting here, many women looking for information on ending a pregnancy rely on Google. Over the course of one month in 2017, more than 200,000 Google searches sought information on self-induced abortion. Oh, this boy. according to a study from the Guttmacher Institute, which supports abortion rights. I'm continuing to read the quote here. Similar searches surged nearly 500% between 2011 and 2015, according to data cited by researchers. Which, again, I, uh, I, I appreciate that people are subscribed to this podcast to for discussion about Google. So I will try to keep this. Uh, what uh, holds up the internet, Andy? Google holds up, holds up the internet and right. the inner, the import, the main part of the internet is finding an answer to your question. Right. That's what it's always been. And that's what people use Google for. And so they do have somewhat of a responsibility to make this information plainly available. Yeah. See, that's, that. it's going to put Google in, really put a lens on their responsibility as a private company, a huge private company that create that supports and creates an important part of infrastructure. Because one of the basic fundamental truths of the argument about the, the, the fight to take away abortion rights in America, I'm going to America because I'm most familiar with this country, but I know it happens worldwide, is that abortion happened before Roe versus Wade. It will happen if Roe versus Wade is struck down and individual states have the ability to deny its citizens access to abortion. And as a result, more and more women are going to be Googling instructions on how to I, how can I procure an illegal abortion. And I would not want to be I, I don't I, I don't envy the people at Google whose responsibility is to set policy like that, because if 
I, I again, it is it is ghastly to imagine somebody who is like, I'm going to perform a dangerous procedure on my own that historically has resulted in so many deaths. And to try to argue for yourself that we have to, people are going to be looking for this information and maybe as a search engine, we have a responsibility to save women's lives by finding and certifying sources that answer this question with the greatest degree of safety that's possible. I, again, I'm. There are times I don't know what I would do in that position if I were at Google. I would be arguing to do whatever we possibly can to save lives. But this is definitely not something that two college students had in mind when they came up with a really interesting way of indexing search engines. Uh, whether they like it or not, companies like this, again, they've created infrastructure. They didn't necessarily want that responsibility, but they've got it. No, it's And again, I don't envy the conversations that will occur. This does make me think about how important it is that this is information that can be available on Google right now, because I have, I was on the internet in the early days and I fear that we might be reverting back to just kind of like, well, we still have that secret corners of the internet where we have to like get information. And this kind of scared me a little bit because I thought, oh, well, what if somebody (laughs) wants to Google all the places that provide abortions and go to cause harm to those who are going. That's the only thing that I can think about that kind of worried me about this particular news story. But boy, when you put it into the perspective of this is the infrastructure that common, like all citizens of the world use to get information in their most desperate times, that's... That's a huge responsibility for a conglomerate to have. Yeah. Tough one. Um, Should we take a... (laughs) Let's take another break. A break and give some breathing room. Mentally wise. And uh, we'll be back very, very shortly. You can listen to my cheery ad voice. Here we go. This episode of Material is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store. Maybe you want to create a portfolio. Maybe you want to create a blog. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do all those things, and there's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff because Squarespace has got it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. Whether you want to start a blog about frogs or you want to start a store about amphibian jewelry, well, you can do either of those things with Squarespace. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash material. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code material to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for us. 
material podcast, your favorite podcast in all the land. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash material and the code material to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of the show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. <laughs> like that, that, I'm sure that was very like stark for those listening. <laughs> but you know, Andy and I are multifaceted people. We're emotional people and we wear our hearts on our sleeves, which I think is why people keep coming back to this show. And also we talk about Google. <laughs> we care. Well, the thing is we care about the things that we care about. And yes. it's, uh, I, can't, I will not speak for Flo because uh, she can speak for herself. I'm just saying that I can't talk about a topic like this that affects me so deeply that I think is so important and just be Ted Baxter <laughs> reading news copy off of a teleprompter. Uh, the, the facts on a topic like this, merely stating the facts will not suffice. This is an MSNBC. You're going to get more than the facts. <laughs> yes. You're going to get the real stuff. Um, like a Google One Chrome project, which is not fuchsia. Yeah. Well, <laughs> see... Uh, didn't we? Didn't I complain last week, or maybe I was just complaining to everyone in general that the I uh, even though like my daily carry phone is a phone that runs the Android, which is made by Google, and the hardware is made by Google, and mm-hmm. most of the time, if I'm out of the office, I'm using a Chromebook manufactured by Google, running an operating mm-hmm. system made by Google, and getting a photo from or <laughs> something from the phone to the Chromebook is not easy at all. No, I still have to upload something into Drive now or yeah. like into Dropbox. It's ridiculous. It has and- to hit the cloud first and this is one of those real areas where i so totally miss my old 100 apple infrastructure because airdrop okay airdrop yeah it's like <laughs> high five <laughs> hey, oh, oh no me... i was gonna say okay okay don't go preaching airdrop around these android parts right now andy we know how great it is we've heard the gospel we're not switching i am just <laughs> uh, again i know that we have people we have googlers who who listen to this podcast i'm showing them where the bar is and what I wish them to clear. Uh, And hopefully, maybe, possibly, we're seeing some indication that Google is taking steps to make uh, Chrome OS and Android, at least, work better together. Uh, The website chromestory.com has uh, spotted code commits. Once again, uh, when Google posts (laughs) new code uh, updates to the developer channel of Android, they can actually look and see what's being done, what's in there, what's being done. And they have noticed references to something called OneChrome. Whether it's there's a space between the one and the Chrome or not, I don't know. Uh, but it seems to have lots of features for getting those two devices to work together. Um, looking at the code and the comments, they note uh, that one one Chrome could be used to use a Chromebook to make a call via an Android phone. So that if you're like in your contacts or if you're in a, a Google search, if you click on that you, that uh, that phone number, it will automatically see that your your Android phone is nearby and place the phone call. Uh, sharing a clipboard between uh, the two devices, uh, a quote send to device sort of feature, which sounds like something like AirDrop. Uh, and furthermore, that all of this communication will be encrypted between the devices. 
And this is now it's always dangerous to get overexcited about something that has been spotted inside a code commit. You will recall how excited that I was for over a year about all of the absolutely explicitly called out code inside developer stuff about running Windows 10 on Chrome OS. And then got Google said, It's not happening. Yeah, we were, we were just sort of goofing around with that. And then we decided we didn't want to do that. Um, nine to five. We were just tossing around a hacky sack. Like, that's all. We weren't we're at trying to do it to get you to come and play with us. We were we're just tossing around a hacky sack. We were sorry, we, we, we're laying high school. Our, our team is supposed to be working on uh, printer queue issues uh, over tops, and we just don't have. We're just bored, so we decided, hey, how hard would it be? And you know what? That's totally fair. That's fine. Again, I've done low level code in my life, and I've realized that I would even. Even the idea of running Windows on something would be a more attractive project than either chewing my own arm off or doing the work that I'm supposed to be doing. So I understand that. Uh, 9to5Google has another theory, uh, which is interesting in and of itself. uh, 9to5 says that it might be hackathon code, that inside Google... Uh, sometimes engineers get together to show things off to each other to say, hey, here's this cool thing I built. And it's not a project or anything, but hey, we just built something cool. So it's possible that somebody or a couple of people wrote these features just to show off to other people, like at a beer bash or something. And there is And no- then uploaded it publicly so that everybody can get their their hopes up because yeah, exactly. <laughs> We like we like to we like to we like to create hope so then we can just watch them squish. You know, I get it. <laughs> when you have that power, I can yeah. see why you want to wield it. I get it. <laughs> it's hurtful. <laughs> well, no, because again, let, let's let's go back to the top of this uh, of this episode. I saw a kitty that might be in distress. Right. Okay. And rather than saying, I am going to enjoy the fact that this other being is in distress and or increase that level of distress, I'm going to dangle the little squeaky mouse on a string called hope that this kitty knows that there will be an ending one way or another to its lostness, to its being alone in this world, that either its owner will open the door and let him in or his new friend. It could Andy. just get meat at Andy's house. Exactly. So not all of us are as mean as whoever it was who created this one Chrome project just to be devilous. Just to be devilous. Oh, boy. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I, I, I'm, I'm just you're speaking to a man who knows the pain of I've got a picture in Google Photos on my phone and it says it has synced to the, the Google's photos in the cloud. And then I open up the internet connected laptop next to me and google photos does not have it and it's i don't there. and i don't know <laughs> what to do except for to like an animal get out a usb c to usb a cable mount it as a device and then copy the file directly i'm saying that i want to live i want to walk upright on two feet like a human being and not on four feet scrabbling at the ground like some sort of animal like a cat waiting for Andy to come back with some meat for you it. You think I should like? There is a market like on the way back. I should probably get some get I'm some snacks. I'm scared if you do that. I don't want you to get your hopes up. And I'm saying this is your friend. I know. I again, realistically, I know that cats do not stay at specific doors unless. I mean, they... you could just get some turkey breast, like some deli meat turkey breast. That's what I do, and that's what I share with my cat because yes, I feed my cat human food because. 
she's old and I'm making the last years of her life the best that they are, okay? Um, she really likes deli meat, turkey breast. And the upside to that is if you eat turkey, then you can put it on your sandwiches so it doesn't go to waste. There you go. So just an idea for the next time you're feeling like like feeding a friendly little cat. Um, and anyway, I hope more cats cross your path, Andy. I think, you know, it might, I might be at the, at the kitty part of my, of my life where I'm now home long. I'm now home that for long enough stretches that, you know, it's, um, it's fun and rewarding. I will say. And now watch how good this transition is because I used to like travel so much that mm-hmm. I felt like it was irresponsible to even like have a, a cat as a, even opposed to a dog, which is gets right. really, really upset if you leave for any amount of time. I feel right. as though now instead of like leaving for like two weeks at a time, like every month or every other month, I may be gone for two days. So mm-hmm. uh, and not only uh, would a cat be okay, okay be with that change of life, but also uh, Google is going to help me with all that travel stuff. Because they are now consolidating all of its far-flung web-based travel services into, I suppose you could call it a single blob uh, called <laughs> Google Trips, uh, which is kind of cool. I was I was playing with it the other day. Um, uh, phone users, both iOS and Android, are used to the Google Trips app. But this is now uh, google.com slash travel uh, off of any web browser, which means that if you do all of your web searches, of course, it keeps being Google. It cannot not keep track of everything that you're searching for, but it will understand the it will understand the context of I'm searching for I'm shopping for flights and I'm shopping for hotels. Now I'm actually just looking for fun things to do in this city. Uh, now I'm trying to fit, fit this in with my schedule, and it looks as though it's a really nice solution to get everything to be consolidated together in a very googly sort of way, where all you know is that everything is in your calendar properly, and that even though you didn't particularly schedule, oh, on day three of my trip, I'm going to be uh, having ham in this Barcelona Barcelona deli. Uh, but it happened to when you're in Barcelona and you find out that you actually do have an afternoon free, it will be able to surface very quickly. Here's that place that has yeah, that one place in Barcelona that has the great ham. But here's here's the one that has like Pikachu and other Pokemon in the store to play with. I don't know, whatever. But uh, it, it, it is it is solving a kind of pain that I think we've all dealt with that there's so the more complicated uh, you, you put as much work into your vacation as you you want release out of it <laughs> as the yeah. tension that you release uh, during the trip. And so much of it is just, oh, man, I know that at some point I saw a website for this really cool 200-year-old library, and it's nothing but oak and paneling, and, and now I don't know where it is, and I can't I can't get it off of my history. So travel, the google.com slash travel will help you resurface that. I know you didn't tell me that you're scheduling, but here's the thing that you were looking at, and here's the map to where it is, and here's how close it is to your hotel. Uh, and so it's it seems like an, another one of those things where those of us who are above the age of 27 will have problems explaining to people who are below the age of 27. You know, you know, I used to have like an actual travel wallet in which I would have to. I, oh no, I I used to have like an Evernote list on my phone where I would have to cut and paste the names of my hotel and look up my flight number. They didn't just automatically get. Yeah, that's this is what tech, this is what we we hope to do from tech from Google. This is one of those areas where we're like. 
every time where we, when we get another sign that Google has been watching every detail of my life and my explorations, say, no, thank God. Thank you. Thank you. I actually I had actually written down in my handwritten travel journal the wrong name of the hotel, but you gave me the right one. And I also have my confirmation number. You actually you were actually being like my mom, making sure that my my name my name was sewn into all my underwear before I went to summer camp, trying to avoid any disasters that I could create for myself. I have to say I'm waiting for the day that Google Trips can import my maps. Um bookmarks like I have favorite places and I have them by region for when I if somebody asks me like hey what did you do when you were here in this place then I could just link them to a map that's pre-made for them and so I'm waiting for Google to integrate those things because you know I'm a repeat offender I like to go to the same places when I I like to go to the same places and do the same things because that I you know I like familiarity what can I say you know, I, I got to say that that's that's one of the unexpectedly nice things about Google Maps, because Google Maps has now been around long enough that if I go to Google Maps and hit the whatever menu button that could show me all the my saved places mm-hmm. and now like the almost the entire lower Manhattan up to maybe 180th Street is now like flecked with like orange, like yellow feathers, like Big Bird of all the places that I went for both. Hey, I'm not, I'm seeing a friend that I haven't seen in a couple of years. Let's go to, let's go to a really nice restaurant to, okay, there's where I was deeply, deeply disappointed by the Samsung Galaxy S5 <laughs> rollout. Uh, but there's that really cool deli I went to because exactly. it was nearby. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, uh, there, there's a lot of interesting data in there that I wonder uh, that uh, could be creatively turned into like a video or a product that uh, it's, it is uh, this, and this isn't like Google tracking us. This is me specifically saying, I want to remember this place, Uh, but it'd be cool if it would also pull up data from Google photos uh, and other things to say, Oh, and here are the pictures that you took. Here's, here's the pictures that you took when you were at Sal Grossberg's deli. Uh, and here's all the here's all the pictures you ever took uh, at Lincoln Center uh, while seeing like operas and things at the at the Met. Like, yeah, actually, thank you. I do want to see that stuff. Yes, thank you. Ooh, <laughs> that's nice. I've only been to Samsung events at the Lincoln Center. Um, <laughs> Andy, I want to just ask you one slightly open-ended question before we start to say our goodbyes. Go ahead. Which is. Do you think that we will ever look back on our lives when we are older than we are now and think, gosh, I really wish I let Google save all that data? Like, I think about that and I think about what a person driven towards nostalgia that I am. And I think about how I'm also a very reflective person and I tend to go back to the past a lot to seek answers to my present and for my future. So I'm wondering if if one day I'll just say to myself, darn, I really wish that Google saved that for me. I don't know. It's just, it's just a thing I'm thinking out loud because of the way privacy is changing and they're trying to give back control to the users. And so. I'm glad that these resources are there. uh, And I'm glad that uh, they've been around for long enough that now there are former formal policies for, when you True. pass away, who gets custody of like the data you leave behind? Um, and this, I hope this doesn't get too personal, but it's 
there's something that I've been thinking about for a long time. It's not, not that it's bothered me, but it's something that's on my mind that I have older sisters and they're married and they have kids. So their kids will carry my sister's stories with them because they were around at the time or maybe they asked their parents like, hey, what, mm-hmm. what do, how did you and dad meet? Or like, how did you, why did you decide to, after you went to school for this degree to take a job in this totally other field? And uh, I don't have, I don't have a spouse. I don't have kids. And it, again, it sometimes is on my mind that my stories, number one, might die with me. So that, not that they're important stories that need to endure, but that anybody who's interested won't have the ability to find anything out about me. And secondly, which is probably just as important, that I do have, of course, nieces and nephews. And if they ask, well, what was Uncle Andy's deal? Why was he Why was he doing that job? I kind of would like to be able to answer that question myself, or at least for those my, my nieces and nephews to have the resources to look at that for themselves instead of hearing it from uh, my, uh, my older sister's who may have had the wrong impression of my career and my choices because they're not me and they not you know they they we're not in touch every single day or every single week and so it it does please me to think that my twitter timeline hopefully will always be there that the stuff that i've posted on instagram will always be there that if uh, when someone for when uh, when the children of my nieces or, gr- or grandchildren of my nieces have that, that that same project in school that all kids get at some point, mm-hmm. we want you to write your family tree. Mm-hmm. And as always, it's like, oh wait, what's this branch that <laughs> says Andrew Anatko and mm. stops right there? What was his deal? Uh, so, well, his deal was that he was, I hope, he he was a very hardworking journalist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had lots of friends. He had lots of adventures. There's some lot of things that kind of that drove him. He was very proud of the work he did. Uh, he had causes he believed in very, very much. It won't be, oh, I bet... I bet he was such a creep that no one was his friend and no one... That's probably why he never married. <laughs> I'm... S- I'm sorry, Andy. It's I get it. I no, I I 100% get it. I'm I'm laughing just I very much admire you being open uh with me and all of our listeners about this because I but I definitely understand 100% where you're coming from. Uh I lived most of my adolescence on the internet and no, you're not going to be able to find it because I've taken it down. So, good luck. Yeah, I see, made sure of it. I made sure of it that before I became a professional that I would have all that bad stuff taken off the internet. I mean, maybe I shouldn't maybe I shouldn't entice anybody to like go down a rabbit <laughs> hole because again, I'm of the generation that started on the internet, so I could have missed some corners, you know? Yep. I'm uh, I will <laughs> I will always thank heavens that I was my generation was born at exactly the perfect yeah, you time. Were. You were. Because you knew you know exactly like the halfway point. Yeah, exactly because no because everyone every time I see not now that there are people who were like 16, 17, 18, mm-hmm. when Google, after Google got started and everything started getting indexed and the Wayback Machine started archiving everything on the uh, on the web, I have so much sympathy for 
every stupid joke you made when you were 16 or 17 or 18, every dumb opinion you you had about, hey, why isn't there a National Association of White People? As though, and there, and like, oh God, that real. I I know you said that because you, you you're not a racist. You thought a you're being funny, and b you don't really understand why there has <sighs> yeah. to be an NAACP and why we don't have an. But oh my God, that's going to look so bad when you're running for Congress in twenty or thirty years. So what my perfection was that. When I was, uh, I, w- I still had the internet. We still had CompuServe. We still had all this, all this sort of. We had this stuff, but none of that was indexed. <laughs> all of that has gone to the land of ghosts and winds. <laughs> that I can't remember anything specific I said that was horrible, but I'm sure being a teenager, I said some horrible things. And but again, pictures of like me writing interesting stuff in the 1990s has been archived. Pictures of me, a picture of me meeting John Waters has now been published. And now uh, I would like to think that again, my nieces and nephews and grandnieces and nephews go, oh my God, he actually met John Waters. One of the, the guy whose statue is now on the, on the mall in Washington, DC. And it's always as one of the great creators of mankind. Whoa, mom, dad, how grandma, grandpa, how come you aren't as cool as great uncle Andy? <laughs> Andy, I know we're, we're having a good conversation because then I start going really deep into thoughts. So I think that maybe it's <laughs> yeah. a good time for us so I can go like even deeper into those thoughts. <laughs> Thank you for indulging my question. Uh, no, it was an interesting question. No, and anybody who has an answer, by the way, or who just wants to talk to us, you can tweet us at material podcast. We're still reading those tweets, by the way. We, we do just, see, we, we haven't do see updated those tweets. the Twitter in a long darn time. We still need a new header image. I know we're, we're too f- darn focused on producing a wonderful show for each and one of you every single week. It's honestly my fault because I've been so busy trying to spruce up flow feed, but darn it, it looks great. So <laughs> where, where else can people see your writing and hear your opinions this week? Uh, besides FlorenceLion.com, I've also got some stuff on Lifehacker that went up last week and this week. I've got a whole article about cleaning, like how to properly clean your disgusting smartphone that's covered in olive oil because it happens. It happens because I know you take that phone with you into the kitchen when you cook. And also just kind of a new thing I'm doing is streaming. I'm doing, I'm joining the kids on Twitch And I have to tell you, it's, you know, it's kind of fun. It reminds me a lot of the internet of yore when everybody would just hang out online with their video cams and do stuff, except people can watch what you're doing. So (laughs) if you want to watch me play Pokemon or just, you know, show off some of the stuff that I have in my house. It's, I just it's, after I said that out loud, I realized it's it, no, no, no. It's it's hard to it's hard to describe something that's easy to understand. I like this is why that. my parents don't know what I do for a living because it's like yeah, <laughs> like people pay me to look at the stuff in my hands. Like what? Yeah. Anyway, thank yeah. you everyone for being there for me on the internet. I'm on twitch.tv slash that flow. Uh, and as usual, if you can spell my last name, you can get on my Twitter, you can get on my Instagram. I'm just Anatko on both. I'm also at anatko.com. 
Uh, you can also listen to WGBH here in Boston, either through terrestrial free radio or by streaming at WGBHnews.org. And I talk about uh, tech for about a half hour at a time, roughly every week. I think my next one is next Thursday, in fact, though. Uh, so, and, but again, if you're listening to watching me on Twitter, I will usually tweet out. Uh, an alert when that is going to happen. Uh, so that's going to do it for us for this week. Thanks so much for listening to material this week. We hope you listen again next week. Until then, have an awesome seven days. Bye.